Hello, my name is Natalia Toby, and I am the owner of Toby Solutions, which is an influencer marketing company. I'm a content creator and U.S. fencer. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, this is going to be a great conversation because we've been talking back and forth on WhatsApp. My guest today, Natalia, she is a fencer. But more than that, she's also a business owner. So we're going to see, do you have to be a rich business owner to be a fencer and get the game to show you guys? Because if your kids have never done fencing, I did it as a young man. It was a beautiful thing when I traveled to Denver, Colorado, made my Aunt Joan rest in peace. And my guest today was brought to me, like all the wonderful, brilliant women in my life, by my wife, she yes. met this young lady and said, oh, you have to talk to her. So I thank my wife for that and keep doing that. But welcome to the show, miss. How are you doing today? I am doing great. And it's actually funny because uh, when I met your wife, I just left my apartment to go to practice and I was running so late. And your wife was like, is this a good area to, you know, travel in at night? And we had a long conversation, so I was extra late to practice. But, you know, sometimes it's good to be late. So, yes. Man, I'm surprised she, you know, you guys talked that long. She'll serve you a drink. But you don't have to say that part because Coach be like, I knew something was off on that day. She's <laughs> like, hmm, 20 minutes late? I don't, I don't know. Well, let the people know. Let's first start with the fencing because, one, you know, people say, oh, that's such an elitist sport from Europe, and it's so hard to get in, like dressage, like polo, um, and, and other things that, you know, you don't always see us, but there are, you know, programs out here in America for fencers, especially even in like the Bronx and different in New Jersey, but give us the game because your journey is unique. Yeah, so fencing was an elite sport. I think it's become more accessible to people now, especially people of color. There are a lot of programs, especially in the East Coast. Um, I'm not really sure about the West Coast and the, you know, the middle of America because I don't really live there. But definitely East Coast, there are a lot of programs available, you know, for people who want to get into fencing. But me personally, I just felt like fencing was just really expensive in the US. And if you want to compete at a professional level out of college, because I fenced in college, um, I moved to France. So I packed everything and, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, and I told my mom, listen, I want to make a team. I want to go to the Olympics. So if this is what I have to do, I have to move out here. And fencing is just very normalized in France, in Europe in general, but really in France, it's like everyone knows fencing. Um, there are a lot of different clubs out here and it's really affordable. So I just decided to move. Okay. Well, that jumps into, you know, becoming a pro after, after mm -hmm. college. But when you started, um, how did you start? You know, women in fencing period in America mm -hmm. might be, I don't know how many people do it. But when you say even black women fencing, that's not an everyday sport. I'm like, hey, I'm going to go pick up the basketball. You're like, I'm going to go pick up the foil real quick and, you know, get busy. Um, how did it start? Who introduced you to it? So I had a coach, uh, Christian Rivera, and he lived in the same town as I did. So I'm from Bloomfield, New Jersey. And 
I remember it was going into my freshman year of, of, of high school and I wanted to do some, you know, summer activities at the Bloomfield Rec. And I think I did cooking and fencing because all the other sports were filled up. So I said, yeah, sure, let's do this. And I liked it. So I think this was like my hmm, seventh, seventh grade. And then I did it for the second year and I liked it. And I decided to, you know, fence nationally. Uh, yeah, it was nationally. But in the beginning, it was just, you know, going to a summer program for a week or two. And that um, coach, Christian, had a club outside of the recreation in Bloomfield. And I just went and I fenced for my high school. And then I fenced nationally. And then I went to college and I fenced um, Division One fencing. Okay, so that sounds like a scholarship. So, was yes. So when I was in college, I got a full ride uh, to Fairleigh Dickinson University Division One uh, school, and I was the captain of my team for three years. I went to NCAA three consecutive years in a row, uh, woman athlete of the year twice. So yeah, fencing has been a part of my life for a really long time. Was it something that you were just, you know, naturally gifted at and you could beat all the, the slow kids? You know, they say when black folk get into sport, we tear it up, Serena. <laughs> we tear it Tiger. up. <laughs> no, I really think I really think that's what it is, because even looking at the competition that I was at this weekend, like it's one part, you know, the spirit that you have for the sport. And it's another part of like being smart. Because fencing is not just, and again, I'm not disrespecting any other sports, but there's so many things that go on and it's such a technical and tactical sport that it's almost like playing chess. There's a lot of different things that you have to think about and it's not just like, okay, I'm going to do this repetitive action and it's going to be fine, you know? So there's one part you need to be smart, but I think growing up, my parents have both been athletes and they're both very like dominant alpha people right and just having that spirit of if you're gonna do something you have to put 120 percent in it um i think that really really uh helps with my fencing were they professional athletes though because you are no they were not okay. no they were not but i think so most of my i would say energy comes from my both parents but mostly like my dad because he grew up in the caribbean so him and his brothers would like hunt and fish. So my dad is like the most manliest man I know. So anytime I have a competition, he's like, you better kill them. And he's like looking at me in my eye. He's like, murder them, like <laughs> kill them. So it's like that energy when I get on the piece, it's not like, oh, this is fun. This is tea time. Like, no, it's one person who's going to win and it's going to be me. And that's it. So that's the energy that I give for every competition. Now, is there a way to teach that? Because I have my kids, uh, both girls, LondonAndSydney.com. I had them do jujitsu because I think everybody, especially women, 
It's the only martial art that if someone bigger is in between your legs, you can get them out. So was there any like eye of the tiger? Because for them, I said, you guys got to, you know, let your dad say, you got to kill them. You got to make their eyes bleed. If And they're like, but those are our friends. And how, you know, with, with it, and, and you're trying to give something that they haven't experienced that side of life because you've been mm. such an awesome dad. So how did your dad get that like? You know, did he push you on a cliff and say, if you don't do what I say, remember this feeling. <laughs> Always come back to it. I don't know. I think I've just, one part of it is you have to be raised in an environment where like someone is constantly giving you that energy or giving you these life lessons of you have to be strong. Um, but also it just depends because my sister, she is more timid and shy and reserved than I am, but I'm like, you know, don't mess with me. And you don't want to find out why you can't mess with me. That's the end. And also, you know, I'm pretty nice too, but um, I think it just, you ha you either have it or you don't have it. It's really hard to be taught that, you know, it's just like an animal instinct that you have and it's either awakened or it's not. But also I don't think you need such quote unquote aggressive energy to be a really good athlete. I know some people, uh, this one girl who I know, she's like fourth in the world in fencing and she doesn't have that like murderous, you know, uh, attitude or energy when she's fencing. It's very calm. And there are a lot of fencers who they aren't loud. They aren't, you know, uh, boastful when they win. They're just very calm and they, they win. So I don't think it's a necessity, but for me, I definitely think it helps. Okay. And, and I'm thinking you say calm. I'm like, are those the weed smokers offensing or are they just lay back? Just, you know, no, because they test us. There's no, there's no, none of that. Okay. The random selection is not, it's, it's constant. So yeah. Uh, okay. That's what, you know, the, the NBA or MLB, uh, they all said that, you know, football, now you're finding out some of your heroes were really juiced up and, so it's good to know that you guys are on constant pressure. I don't know, would steroids even help a fencer? Um, I think so. I'm pretty small. It would be great. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, but um, I, I guess. But again, I just don't think our sport is 100%. You need to be the strongest person or you need to be the most aggressive. Like you can be the most calm person, skinny short but you were just so smart with how you're hitting um you know it kind of outweighs all of that okay and, and you know you say you don't need to be the the biggest person but i think like another fellow black fencer miles um and even i think daryl homer they're not like short people um, I think Miles, are you familiar with Miles? Yeah, Miles Chamley Watson uh, yeah. from Brooklyn. He's probably like 6'2", six 6'3". Six but then Daryl, I feel like, is not that tall. Daryl has to be... He's definitely not 6'2", but I wouldn't consider him to be short. Maybe just average? I don't know. Okay. But then okay. if you look at the Olympic champion for the U.S. Uh, for this Olympics that just passed, uh, Lee Kiefer is shorter than me skinnier than me uh obviously more you know uh built but she won gold you know so it doesn't necessarily have to be the biggest in the room uh she's just really really athletic and talented and smart and she's that girl like you cannot and also she's like 
people underestimate her because she's so small. They're like, okay, yeah, she, no. When Leekiefer hits the building, be aware. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it depends. And so, you know, you say it's like chess. It's a, it, it is a thinking person's game. But what would you say, you know, for someone young who say, I want to do fencing, what could this cost me? Because I'm all, I'm still growing. I'm going to need, you know, new equipment. I'm going to need this at camps. Like, what's the average cost for a young person trying to fence? Is this as expensive as cheerleading or travel baseball? Choose a different sport. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> no, it is so, like, I think now that I am an adult and living alone, I don't, I didn't realize how much, uh, money and dedication and sacrifice that my parents took, mainly my mom, like she's the, the one, I don't know. She's just always on top of things. Moms, they just do that. I didn't realize how much dedication and sacrifice it took, you know, um, me right now, I'm thinking if you're doing a, a local comp, not a local, a national competition, it's going to run you about a thousand dollars per competition, right? You're looking at uh flight, which could be, let's just say 400. The competitions are already $200. So that's already 600 hotel. Uh, then you have to pay your coach. And especially when you're younger and you have different, um, uh, events, right? So for me, I'm a senior, right? I only do one event, maybe individual. If we have a team, but it's not every single national competition, there's a team event, right? So for me, I just fly out maybe two days, three days max, and I go home. But if you're, let's just say 14, you have Y14, Y16, maybe there's 18, I'm not sure, or maybe it's not 18, maybe it's Y20, then you have seniors if you're that good. So you're looking at four events, $200 each, the hotel, the flight, it's very, very expensive. Uh, so yeah, I don't, and these expenses, I'm only talking about the U.S. There was just an article of, about this, like how expensive it is and how, you know, it's not an easy sport to get into, especially when you're younger. Um, but yeah, it's a sacrifice you make because hopefully all of that money that you're putting in allows you to get a full ride to a university because school is not cheap. So, Okay. But then when you become a professional, there's still cost of being a pro athlete, getting your body right, tournaments. And, you know, they say the average fencer isn't a millionaire. Maybe that's um, untrue. But when doing the research, talk about that, because, you know, in fencing, you're probably not doing it for the LeBron James contract at the end. No, I and I wish there was. But I think one thing I didn't anticipate when transitioning from college athlete to professional athlete is all of the resources that we get in college for free. And I'm not just talking about like the practice and the meal money that you get for your competitions, but equipment, right? You're looking at thousands of dollars in equipment, not monthly, but it's just like when things break, you have to pay a jacket could be 200, a blade could be 200. You need about three blades. Maybe some people have five. So these all add up. But then outside of training and outside of competitions, you're also looking at uh, recovery, right? So one thing that I really have really have been prioritizing uh, this past year is um, my trainer, right? So my trainer and I 
focus on not only being strong, right, and being fast, but also injury prevention because as you get older, your body is not healing as it was when you were like 20 in college and you just, you know, sprain something, you take a week off and you're good to go. Like there's a lot of time and money that you're putting in. So you need to make sure that your body is, you know, up for that so that you can, you know, continue training and going to competitions. This is for Chris Caldwell, AKA CBO of Caldwell Enterprises. Yes. I hear you. I can hear my audience sometimes. I can hear my, my, my people that I really know. And with your professional fencing, I am going to try to push her off camera to see if we can um, represent some college athletes um, for fencing. Because, yeah. because as a licensed sports agent, people always just think you put stuff on your, your you know, Facebook wall. No, hold on one sec. <laughs> I put stuff on my real wall, and that's my license in the state of Florida as a sports agent. Make sure I pick the right one. Wouldn't it be something like, that's not the sports agent. That's his, you know, executive protection. We, we do a lot of things at Coleman Public Relations and Consulting Firm. So with that, you know, if going back into your college days, now college mm -hmm. athletes can get paid. They can get endorsements. I, I really want you to think about that because I'm going to bother you off air especially yeah. because I'm thinking from the shoes and even black folks taking the fencing gear, we could wear that to a party and people be like, hold on, what'd you just do? You put the Wakanda on it? No, see, okay, I think, and this is a great topic because in theory, right, this is a really good thing, right? You know, having sponsorships, but... Fencing in general, and I'm speaking from someone who's out of college, right? So let's just say when I was in college, we didn't have that NCAA rule where you can get sponsorships. But even now, it's very hard to find sponsorships as a professional athlete because, you know, whether you're looking at big, big companies uh, like Nike and things like this, they're only looking for, are you on Team USA? If you're not, mm, I don't know. But when you have other sports like baseball, right, you are on these professional teams, but there are a lot of professional teams in baseball. When you're on the U.S. team in fencing, you, there's only four, right? Four people. That's it, right? So it's very hard to get sponsorships because our, our sport is so small, but also it's like a lot of people trying to get, you know, these it's actually it's actually three spots and the alternate is four, right? So it's really, really hard. But again, it's a smaller sport, so it's easier to be done. It's it's tricky. Well, you know, the other part of it, it it's a, you know, being known as an elite or kind of foo-foo thing. It's it hasn't had that touch of what I call the the hip hop culture. And, you know, fencing to me is sexy. And we haven't even seen a Cardi B, Beyonce on there. You know, if they did that in their video, people would be like, oh, I didn't know you could take the example. Missy Elliott, she took the Indian culture, put it in her video, and people are like, you know, doing Bollywood dances back in the day. So I look at it. I like things that are hard. I like things that are new and different. That means we can make up kind of, you know, our own, be creative, make up our yeah. thing. And 
that that's I, I it's like I see it at like a movie. So and, and I don't give myself these great ideas. They they come blessed upon me. But I I, I love that um, fencing as a professional athlete. Can you talk about the injuries? Because people have died in fencing. I mean, back in the day when fencing started, you know, it was oh, no. the real deal. But people have died in fencing. Okay. I cannot even tell you the last person who died. Like, mm -hmm. it is not as dangerous as people think it is. In fact, I think it's not dangerous at all. Most of the injuries that I've seen personally, I don't know what everyone else is doing. Most of the injuries that I've seen people have has been, has occurred outside of fencing. Whether it's in the weight room or they're doing something stupid, they're skiing on the weekend and they sprain their ankle and now they can't fence. Like it's never really big injuries on the on the piece. Or it's maybe sometimes you're lunging too hard and then you you know you misstep or you snap something or someone hits you really hard. Yeah, maybe someone hits you really hard. And I had one friend who got uh, hit in the head and she had a concussion. Uh, but that was it. And then she broke her rib, but it was because she was doing a different sport outside of fencing. So I don't think it's that dangerous. But the only dangerous part of fencing is when you're fencing someone who isn't experienced um, because they're so unpredictable. They don't know their distance yet. Uh, they don't know how to control their hit. Maybe they're hitting way too hard in such a close distance where the impact is so much. And it's just like, all right, you need to we're not fencing anymore get off like it's too much but other than that i can't remember the last time that i got seriously injured because of someone else on like in fencing that's because you're that good but that's how i'm that's no, the pr in me no it's not that's that. you're it's that because good. fencing isn't as dangerous as people think it is so you guys can believe that but when she said her dad said murder them right yeah i'm murdering <laughs> yeah yeah that, that she's that good she's doing the murdering so it's easy so you know I never get hit no 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 but also you know yeah even though i have that energy i would still like i mean i don't think i'm hurting people some people may say like ow but i'm like all right stop get up it's not that serious like <laughs> What's the, how did you pick what style that you wanted? Like, did it pick you or did you try everything and say, hey, this fits me? Explain that to the people because most people yeah. maybe for the first time have never heard that, wait, there's different styles? Yeah, so there are three different weapons in fencing. There's foil, saber, and epee. A foil is the, uh, just the torso area. So it's kind of like, just imagine you have a vest, right? Like the arms are free so you are not hitting the arms or the legs but you're hitting the torso up uh saber is the slashing weapon that's the one you typically see in the movies where you know yeah that's that one and it's the torso up as as well as the arms and then epe is a free-for-all it's anywhere you can hit the toe the head the hands the body everything um and that's the weapon that i fence and how did, did it pick you or was it just, I mean, is it a pro, I know it's hard to explain. It's like, do you like no, roller no. skating or roller blades? So, uh, two things. One, the coach that I, uh, that introduced me to fencing, he told me like, okay, you're going to do this one. Um, also I think 
the one you choose matches your personality matches your personality like kellen you said oh you fence and i was like i bet you you fence saber and you were like yes i knew it it's just like you you can feel it right so for me my coach was like yeah you're gonna fence epe um i said sure and then with in epe we have two uh different uh grips right so you have like the handle you know how you can have like Oh, it's very hard to describe without uh, visuals, but you have two different grips, um, and my coach just chose that for me, and I was really influenced by a French fencer. Her name is Laura Flessel. She is my idol. She is like the Beyonce of fencing. When I tell you I love this woman, just imagine, you're like, uh, how old was I? Maybe, I don't know. How old are you when you're a freshman in high school? Like, like 16, 14, 15. I was yeah. 14. 14, 15 years old. And you see this like amazing black woman. And she's like Olympic champion, world champion, this, this, this. And I'm like, yes, I want to be her. So um, I just chose the different, the grip that she had. So there's two pistol and French grip. So I said, yeah, I want to be Laura Flessel. So let me get that one. Let me mimic her. And that's how I ended up choosing so for someone listening, have you tried the other styles as well or you stick no. with that? Yeah. If my coach tells me like, you're going to do this, I don't know. For me, maybe it was just because I'm, I was young and I didn't even know what was going on. I was just like, sure. But the other ones too, there's this uh, rule called, called right of way, which means that you have to, it has to be your touch. I don't even know how to describe it. That's to show you those weapons weren't made for me. It's just mm -hmm. epic. Like, I don't need to be constrained by rules. I just need to hit and get out of there. That's it. So, yeah, I'm fine with my weapon. Gotcha, gotcha. Let me, let, let's talk about, you know, you have your business and you, you have defined yourself. And you guys, she has a YouTube. I'm, I'm not going to talk about some of the gems because I want you to do like me and just Ben watch the YouTube. But you are more of a freelancer than an entrepreneur who mm -hmm. she taught me something. First person who's ever I've known who hates the book, The 4-Hour Workweek. Sorry, Tim. Yeah. And, 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 and <laughs> we, we might talk about that a little bit. But what made you say, okay, I'm doing fencing professionally, but mm -hmm. I also have this marketing background and degree I want to use. Like, how did, did you, was it by force you had to do it? Or was it just mm -hmm. like by force? Because I got to get this out of my system too. I can do it all. Mm -hmm. No. So there's two, two things. So one, I've always been in company with older people whether they're five years older than me or grandma. Like, I just love learning from people who've lived a little longer than I have. And just being at the club that I was fencing at, so it's New York Athletic Club, um, I would have friends who are older and they would really tell me, like, fencing costs so much. And when you're done fencing, you have to start your life. It's like from, from, from zero, right? And you spend all these years trying to get this dream and what happens if you don't get there right and i was like oh my god that sounds so scary because for me after college i was like yeah i'm just gonna fence like it's gonna be great uh but you hear all these stories imagine you're graduating college and you're like i'm gonna be on a team and you're on you know whichever team team kenya team usa team whatever and you're doing the thing and then all of a sudden your hit blows 
what happens, right? Maybe you cannot fence after that. What, how do you start your career from, let's just say you've been fencing for 10 years. How do you go to a job interview and say, all right, so I had a degree in marketing 10 years ago and I'm ready to start. They're going to be like, girl, what have you been doing for the past decade? Not marketing. Stop. And you see all of these fencers who grad or retire and they, especially guys, right? I'm right. You see a lot of people who they fence, they retire and they're fencing coaches or they're involved in fencing. And I love fencing. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. I can't stand kids and the fencing moms to be my full-time job. You know, I don't want to do that. And I do coach like a kid, like a summer program for kids. And I love that, right? To introduce fencing to kids the way how it was introduced to me. And we can talk about that later, but not as a full-time job. You know, I, I want to use my marketing degree. I'm very passionate about it. But then the other part of it was I knew I was moving to France. And if you know French people, you are not entering into a workforce or in a work environment not knowing any French. I never took a French class ever, right? Because when I was trying to choose a language, which one do you choose if you're living in the U.S., Spanish or French? Yeah. Like, where are you working? You know, it's Spanish. So yeah. I did Spanish. Then I found out, okay, I have this opportunity to train with my idol's coach, uh, Laura Fussell's coach. Um, so I said, yeah, I'm going to take this opportunity, but I also can't work because I don't speak French. So I just decided, like, we're just going to run a marketing company. We're going to figure it out. And from the time when I decided to move to France to actually moving, there was a 10-month gap because of COVID and stuff like that. So I just said, okay, every month, because I didn't know when, but it just ended up being 10 months. I'm going to work on this business. So by the time I get to France, the business is already moving so that it's not doing two brand new things at the same time. Okay. Make, it plus, totally makes sense. And plus somebody has to pay for these fencing bills. So gotcha. Until the sponsors jump in line and, and, and all that. So how, how difficult is it for you at this point? Like, for your Olympic goals for the USA, um, mm -hmm. how you know difficult is it? Like, what do you have to do? Win so many tournaments, you know, dance on one foot, and then you know, do the splits. Like, what are the hoops do you have to jump through? Yeah. So basically, and I'm not sure about all of the technicalities, but from what I know, is you have to be in at least the top four, right? you don't really want to be number four, but you want to be three, two, or one, right? You can also qualify individually um, for the Olympics, right? Because it happened in 20, what is that, 2016? Was that in Rio? No, what was before Rio? No, it was Rio because you had oh, Tokyo. With the that dirty just water, gotcha. Rio with the dirty water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so you had whatever 2016 was, right? Um, for men's epee, they didn't have a team. It was just Jason Pryor, who was a black man. So black people in fencing is not, you know, very rare. Um, but yeah, he qualified individually and he went to the Olympics. So there are ways that you can qualify individually, but if you are a team, uh, you want to be one, two or three. So right now I think I'm like 36 in the country and we have a few competitions, maybe around five competitions a year. So 
in the beginning of last year, I didn't really uh, go to a lot of competitions because of COVID. And I was, you know, I just moved to France, so I wasn't going back and forth. And I was like 76 in the country. And then I did one competition. I think I got maybe top 32 or top 16. And then I jumped from 76 to 38 or something like that. So it's very possible to jump, but it just depends on how consistent you are with your results. And it's crazy because here you're trying to get on the Olympic team, but you have to travel in in France. Tell the people, you know, why and, and, and is it because of it's Epe? If you were doing something else, would it have been Italy? Would it have been Spain? I don't know about the other two weapons. Um, I don't know. I just kind of stay in my lane. We don't ever train with them. Um, I, pro I know a handful of uh, fencers from the other weapons, but again, we don't really interact unless it's like um, a competition where all three of us are there. Um, well, yeah, there are national competitions where we see each other, but I don't really train with them at the same time, right? So I don't know what countries have the best for foil and saber, but for Epe, 100% France. Like, France, they are very consistent in um, results. Uh, the coaches are amazing. There are different countries that fly out French coaches to train their national teams. Uh, France, I don't know. I could be biased, but they're the bee's knees when it comes to Epe. And yeah, that was one of the reasons why I moved. Um, when I was in the U.S., it was just really hard to find a coach. Um, people said I was too young. I, I was too old. Old meaning that... Um, and mind you, I'm like probably 21 at the time, so I don't know what's too old, but for them, it's like, we don't want to change your fencing because each country has a discipline, right? So Hungarians fence one way, Italians fence one way, French people fence one way, Ukrainians fence another way. Um, right. So you have all these different styles, right? So Hungarian is very different from Italian and Italian is very different from French. So you'll have a coach. He, he doesn't even have to be French, but maybe his coach was French and he learned through the French system. So for them, they might, uh, I've had coaches in the U S tell me, well, this is your type of discipline and we don't teach you that we have a different style and it's too hard to teach you this new style because you're, you're so ingrained in that one style that, you know, it doesn't make sense. If you were like, you know, training in, let's just say Hungarian for two years, but then you want to train the Italian for like 10 years. Okay. That's fine. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't have time for the excuses. Um, I went to France and they said, and my, I guess my fencing before resembled French, uh, style, but I wasn't taught by a French uh, coach. Right. So it was just a very easy transition, uh, to go to France. Okay, wow, that's that's crazy with like all the different styles. Because if you're from one place, you may learn this. Have you seen, you know, the Hungarian style, you know, in the Olympics? Wh which one is probably people using when you're watching and you're studying? Whose style is most uh, effective in epic? Um, if if you would ask my coach, my coach would say French, but it's not like one. I don't want to say. It varies. Like I gave you some like very uh, well-known um, styles, even Estonian. Like there are Olympic champions who are from Estonia, Ukraine, Hungary. You know, it's 
a lot. It's all over the place, but I wouldn't say there's one in particular that's like, oh, if you want to be an Olympian, you have to do this, right? Um, there are a lot of different factors. Just thinking of like the type of style is just like one very small uh, factor. Okay. And I brushed over something. I want to make sure before um, Tim Ferriss or his, his crew start trolling you. You know, you taught me something and I've been talking about it here at the house um, with, mm -hmm. you know, the, the familiar. And you said, you know, the four hour work week to me, I'm not going to say everything that you said, but mm -hmm. the part that I will share is mm -hmm. you said, my friends are already traveling like he's describing in the book. And you, I told you that's what made me feel normal when I read this book. So I was at back in the day, I was trying to get somewhere that you mm -hmm. and your friends are already doing, living where you want to live. And you said something I want you to tap into, mm -hmm. even living at home on their mama's couch as a grown bleep man um, and comfortable with that. Can you talk about that mentality? Do you understand it at all? I was told at 12 I had to get out the house um, when I was 18. What is going on? Because that's like something, you know, it's like. I'll, I have the perfect. I don't even think you should look at it like this. I'm looking at it like it is a different economy than what it was when you were 12 going on 18, right? Now rent I don't know which part of America. I'm from the Bay Area, so it was always it was, expensive. New Jersey is getting up there. Like, it's almost the same cost as living in New York City, right? Because we have all of these people from the Midwest wanting these New York jobs, but they can't afford New York rent, so they're living in New Jersey and taking the New Jersey transit into the city. So... For me, I look at it like it is so hard for people to, one, get good paying jobs that allow them to leave their house. Two, um, in your, again, I, I don't know how you were raised or, you know, what Spoiled. life is like. No, but now all of my friends have college degrees, right? It's not like all of them have college degrees, but now it's like everyone has a college degree. School is already expensive, so in order to get that edge on that job interview, you need your master's. But people are already paying six figures for the bachelor degree they already have, right? So it's not like Europe where school, I don't know, $1,000 a year. You know, me, when I was in school, it's like, or it was $60,000, $67,000 a year. We're not even talking about Harvard or Columbia. This is not even up there, right? I. I mean, my school was good, but it's not the best business school out there. So you have, imagine if I was an offender and I was an average student in, in school, I'm having all of this debt to pay plus a job that's like, oh, well, we want you to get a master's, but a master's is like, what, a, another six figure uh, debt. And then you have this job that barely wants to pay you and rent is now $3,000 a month when your parents are like, oh, when I was... 24, I bought a house and it's like, okay, that's very nice, but it's not as achievable as it is now. And it's crazy because there's somebody like we lived in Seattle before being here in Florida and I would hear, you know, 21 year olds talk about, yeah, they're paying me 80,000 while I'm in college. So it also depends on what you choose, because if you can program True. or if you have a connection at Amazon or if you do nursing, which 
I'm biased because we have a company that helps people get into jobs or become entrepreneurs in healthcare, um, mm-hmm. CNA to MD.com for those of you who are listening or watching. But um, that it, it depends what you do. I pick something yeah. I loved, right? So I made the mistake of picking something I love, being stubborn, knowing I had to make it work. I don't mm-hmm. advise that for any of my mentees. I say follow the money because I, like your friends, it's like... Nobody wants to hire you when you're young with a master's degree. I was told so many times, why'd you get your master's degree so fast? I don't know. I felt like I was behind and I just needed to finish school um, so I could pay Sally May back, you know, 10 years later. But I think what you brought up was really good because I'm seeing so many kids like and when I mean kids, I mean kids 16 years old. They're like, yeah, I'm a millionaire. I'm like, how? When I was 16, I was not doing that. I was worried about not money you know so yes i definitely think there are two like uh two different types of people right people who are like listening to general advice saying go to school get a a job stay in your job but then it's very hard for them and then there are other people who kind of just grab life by the balls um and then they just make it work like for me i mean i wouldn't say i live at home uh, when I go back home, it's maybe three months out of the year, but even so my dad is like, okay, you've been here for one week. You got to get out. Like what's going on where my mom is like, no, you can stay here forever. Like, please don't leave. So, I mean, it all depends. But, um, I think going back to your question about the four hour work week, um, the new trend that I'm seeing with my friends or even on social media in general is this soft life, right? Soft life meaning, and I did want to, I'm going to have a YouTube episode about this, like how the soft life is sometimes toxic to my generation because it's basically this lifestyle of everything is lavish. Don't work too hard. Don't let your boss stress you out. Travel, eat good, get that massage. Don't worry about the bills too much because life is too short. And I think that's kind of what, a little little bit of what Tim Ferriss is saying like why are you stressing about your job when you should be worrying about or why stress about working so hard so that you can retire at 60 or 70 when your life is right now Uh, so yeah I definitely see that with the four-hour work week he stresses that but I know friends who are working nine to fives and they live that life that Tim Ferriss is saying that unlimited paid time off, they take that literally. Like they will take an unlimited paid time off. So, and and I and I love it. I love the the blend of you know because working until you're sixty and many people don't make it to that part. Mm-hmm. You know, I um I, I just say you know you can't just spoil yourself now all the time, but. I, again, I probably lived that soft life, but it's, you know, 20 years in the making and it took a lot of um, willing to be broke, willing to do things mm. that the other people would not be willing to do in the fields that we're in. So, you know, reason why we have all these plaques and everything over here, because it was hard work. It wasn't just easy. But I, I like that. I can't wait to see that video and talking about the soft life because there's someone listening right now saying, I want to see them soft life people at 50, 60 and see if those are the Walmart greeters. Listen, this, that's my whole thing. Like it's not sustainable at all. And I think, I mean, that's a whole nother topic, but 
this this whole idea of a soft life is really just turning a blind eye to responsibility. That's what the video is going to be about because there are a lot of things that we need to be responsible for and people just say, it's too hard. Let's just go to Mexico for a week and a half. And it's like, no, sweetie, that's not how life works because you're still in debt. Yeah, and how you make that happen. I'm a Dave Ramsey, you know, live debt free type of mm -hmm. guy. And so... You know, it can't all be on credit cards, but that's interesting. I can't wait for the video. So if you guys want to hear more about that, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube. I'll make sure to put the links in the description so you have more to comment about, about, wow, look at her. Or is she single? Yes, that's real talk. Some of my, you know, <laughs> listeners and followers. And it's all good and you can ask, but this one right here, oh no, you got to come to me so I can go to her daddy and say, uh, we got bride price right here. We got uh, an mm. African king ready to, you know, that. yeah. And my dad is a hunter, so please do not mess with me. <laughs> yeah. Please. <laughs> and, and, and he might like that, that Dahmer meat, so like it dark. But uh, <laughs> tell the people, though, and the best is yet to come for you. But what is a community give back? You kind of mentioned it with the kids earlier, but if there mm -hmm. might be another one, what's a community give back that you're doing or one that you would like to do in the future? Yeah, so I mentioned when I, how I found fencing. It was through the Bloomfield Recreation. And, okay, let me give you a little backstory because there was a, a story before this story. So during the pandemic, um, there was this mom and she was our neighbor. My mom is like my number one PR person. You meet her in the grocery store. She's like, hi, how are you? By the way, my daughter, Natalia Fences, and here's a video. Like the videos are always like ready on the phone. So anyway, she saw uh, this, my neighbor and said, oh, you should put your son in fencing. My daughter does fencing. It's great. So then the pandemic happened and the mom said, hey, can you teach my son how to fence? Because he doesn't like to do the Zoom classes, who wants to do a Zoom fitness class as a kid? So I said, yeah, sure. But we need someone else to fence, right? Because in fencing, you need at least one person as your opponent. And then all of a sudden, she goes, yeah, let me see which friends, you know, want to sign up. Ten kids showed up. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, this is a, a thing. So I did it for a couple months uh, before I went to France. And I did it virtually so i hired coaches we got a space and i said okay these coaches will teach the kids how to fence at a very affordable price like having a be a beginner class you know nothing too competitive just to introduce them to fencing and then it just got too much because i was running a business right i was fencing for myself as well as like being the administrator and it just wasn't fun anymore i'm not teaching the kids it's just me like solving problems because i'm not there so then fast forward, I uh, asked my town recreation, I said, hey, I did this uh, fencing clinic or summer camp 10 years ago. Can I do it? And they said, yeah, perfect. And we got a lot of people, I think maybe 12 or 15 kids, and they're already, you know, excited to do it again. So now what I'm trying to do is expand it to black and brown communities. I reached out to East Orange and Newark. These are a few, you know, uh, uh, towns in New Jersey. But yeah, I'm passionate about giving that same energy or that same opportunity that I got when I first started. I didn't know anything about fencing if it wasn't for what I'm giving to these kids now. That is awesome. And you guys are getting blessed with the game. 
I'm going to go on and on, but I'm just not going to do it with you guys listening. I'm going to do it off air where I always tell you the best, some of the rawest conversations happen, but a great storyteller always wants you wanting more. So mm -hmm. I want you guys to check out the links in the description box and make sure you follow, subscribe, but give them any last words for the people before I cut them off and make them, you know, follow you and then pay for the game that you'll give them in a course, then a book, then the book turns into a movie, then, you know, it goes on and on. Um, any advice, any advice? Um, okay. The first one is try not to think about the problems that you have. Think about the solutions. Um, when I first graduated from college, I didn't have any coaches. And if that was just my mindset, like, oh, this is going to be impossible, um, then I, I would be stuck, right? I figured out how I should get there. I looked at the steps and I made it happen. So don't ever block yourself or have a ceiling for yourself. Um, ooh, this is a good advice for black women. I don't know if you have um, any black listeners or black female listeners. Um, be comfortable with being in white spaces. Uh, fencing is predominantly white. And in business, predominantly white, depending on, you know, which area you're in. And if I was afraid to be in any space, uh, I would not be where I am today. Most spaces that I'm in, I'm the only black person, the only black woman. And I don't let that, you know, deter me. I don't let that, you know, make me feel nervous. I walk in that room like I'm Beyonce and I say, here's what's going to happen. So any black woman who is looking to be successful, don't be afraid to step into that space and you be the only person of color. You guys blessed by great game. It's almost like she's watched every episode that we've done and she yes. is right online. I thank God. I thank my wife and I thank you. And I thank all the listeners and the watchers for listening to the game. Make sure you share this game with somebody. It will change their life. Y'all be blessed. Hi, everyone. Have you ever been curious about visiting Africa? Which African country were you interested in? Kenya, Nigeria, Uganda, South Africa, Ethiopia. Which country are you interested in? My good friend, Kellen Cash Coleman, came up with a course called My First Trip to Africa that'll guide you through this process. It's only $20, and in this course, you'll learn about passports, visas, vaccinations that you need before you go there, as well as a budget, uh, how much the trip is going to cost. He also talks about what you should pack, uh, what you should take with you, how you should travel on a budget. Did you know that 100 US dollars is worth a thousand South African rand and over 10,000 Kenyan shillings? So imagine what you can do with $100 back home. I say back home because I'm from Sudan, I'm African, I already know how it's like. I know that you know when you convert Canadian and American money, it goes a long way when you're traveling across Africa. So if you're curious, um, if, if Africa is a place that you've always wanted to go, always want to move there, Kellen Cash is the person to ask. Check out the course, there's a little preview you can listen to um, before you actually purchase it. If you're interested in this course, visit www.diversifiedgame.com. Don't miss out.